0: Vance Johnson has enjoyed some of the highest highs that this life has to offer, but has endured some of the lowest lows, from living in an abusive home as a child to earning All-American status in college to playing in three Super Bowls to drug abuse, attempted suicide, and more. Vance now lives to tell his story about turning everything over to God and living for him and not for himself.
1: Well, being originally from Trenton, New Jersey, how I came about being born in New Jersey is my father grew up in Jersey. That's where all my family is from, up and down the East Coast. And my dad actually, as a young child, his father died at a very young age. And so my father was raised by the streets. And being raised by the streets, he got involved in drugs. He got involved in gangs. By the time he was in his early 20s, my father actually ended up uh, being one of the last gang members alive and got in a lot of trouble and was forced to go to jail and possibly spend prison time. But back in the fifties, they actually gave you a choice either join the service or go to prison. They told him he'd probably end up dead if he didn't. So my father was then stationed down in Fort Huachuca, Arizona, where he joined the army. And after about six or seven months being there, they allowed him to go off campus. And my father went to a James Brown concert. You remember James Brown? Oh yeah. (laughs) Well, my father goes to a James Brown concert, and he sees a young lady sitting outside of a car, and he taps on the window, and back then, you know, you didn't have a push button, you had to roll it. So she rolls down the window, and introduces himself and says, Hi, my name is Eugene, and she says, My name's I'm Eugene. So they start talking, he asks her, Why aren't you inside the concert, the James Brown concert? She says, I'm only 15 years old, and they're selling alcohol, so I can't go in. Well, he stands out there and talks to this young lady for the next two or three hours, until he finds out where she lives at, which was Marana, Arizona. In Marana, Arizona, she was a sophomore in high school. My dad would go out there to visit her, and she picked cotton for a living when she got out of school. Eventually, he went to her high school, walked across the high school basketball gym floor, got on his knees and proposed to her. She said, well, I'll marry you, but I got to ask my daddy. So they go back to the cotton cotton gin yard. My grandfather gives, now you know it's my mom. Mm -hmm. My grandfather gives So then my father married this young lady, and they moved back to New Jersey. And he died. The draft didn't have to go to Vietnam, and that's where I was born. So we spent a a couple years there in New Jersey. But there's a saying, you can take the brother out of Jersey, but you can't take Jersey out the brother. Well, my (laughs) father, when we got back to New Jersey, he started going into the streets and acting crazy again and being violent and stealing and using, and it kind of freaked my mom out. And then he started to abuse her so she actually kidnapped me and went back to Tucson, Arizona, Marana rather. And my father wanted me in his life. So he came back out and got this young 16 year old now and her son and went back to New Jersey. And so for the next few years, we lived in New Jersey until it got to a point where my mother couldn't take it anymore because of the domestic violence. And my father out in the streets and selling and using. And she said, if you're going to be in me and these kids lives, because by that time I had a little sister too, you have to come to Arizona with us. And that's when we both, all four of us, rather, moved to to Tucson, Arizona. But nothing changed. And like I said, you could take the brother out of Jersey, but you can't take Jersey out the brother.
0: So let's talk about sports because, obviously, you have this great career, one of the all-time greats with the Denver Broncos. But you also had uh, what could have been a Olympic track career as well. You were so close to that happening. But let's go back to Arizona growing up. How did you get into sports?
1: Well, how I got into sports is this. I used to watch sports because my father watched sports. And even though he was kind of not a really good father and an abusive man, he loved sports. And so as a child, I start watching sports and I start realizing that that's something that I want to be when I grow up. And so what I would do is I would ask my father if I can play football or basketball or baseball. And he ended up actually being my coach for baseball and for football. And, you know, that man growing up in the Army, he was pretty tough. And so he would never let me go to bed at nighttime unless I was out there running and doing push-ups and working out. And I got really good at sports. and I started noticing that whenever I did good at sports, my father was less abusive to my mother. So then to me, it was about achieving an identity. And so that's why my whole life was about playing football, growing up one day and being a pro football player and being a track athlete and going to the Olympics. I literally had these goals and dreams when I was around six or seven years old. And so I leaned into the sports to just find my identity. And that's the reason why I became one of the best track athletes all over the country. I actually represented the United States of America in the Pan-American Games over in Caracas, Venezuela, where I won the gold medal for the Junior Olympics.
0: So besides football and track, did you also play basketball in high school? You mentioned baseball. Did you play baseball in high school as well?
1: Well, it's funny you said that. So I did play baseball. And I was really good at stealing bases, and the problem is I didn't like to stand there at the plate because I didn't want to get hit by a baseball. (laughs) (laughs) And then I played basketball, and I was actually the fastest on the team. I, I could dunk because I could jump so high, but I couldn't shoot, and I was a little short guy. So I ended up getting cut off the basketball team, so that's why I started to focus on track and field and football. And it got to the point where I would stay after school longer than all the other kids because... I had a goal to be famous one day. And even though I was just a young you know, 16, 17-year-old in high school, it was about just really hopefully you know, reaching that goal one day to be famous. And that's the reason why every single day all I thought about was sports, all I did was sports. And the training was something that what you're doing behind the scenes, if the other guys aren't doing it, that means you're going to be better than them. And that's the reason why I ended up being so good, even at a very young age.
0: I did an interview with Johnny Rogers, former Heisman Trophy winner out of Nebraska. And of his, his driving force was actually the money. It wasn't the fame, but he wanted to win. He wanted to earn a million dollars, and that was his driving force. And then by time he got good enough and old enough, to earn a million dollars, a million dollars wasn't the benchmark anymore. (laughs) It was several (laughs) million dollars. And in your case, though, it wasn't about the money. It was about the fame, which is interesting.
1: What's really interesting is how you're saying that. And I was paralleling my life because just like him, he was going after something that was actually not going to do anything for him except make him want more. And it was the same thing with me because I went after the fame. And I, so, I, in fact, I would trade with him because I ended up being a million dollars in debt. He ended up being a millionaire.
0: <laughs> yeah, and we're, and we're going to get to that here in just a minute about how that happened. So here you are, you're obviously you're gravitating towards football and track, and you become a really good football player. And, and people will know you as this fantastic wide receiver at Denver, but actually you grew up playing running back and actually went to college uh, as a running back.
1: That's right. I didn't know anything about being a receiver at all. And when I finished Troy High School as a senior, I got lots of offers all over the country. I decided to stay home because I wanted to be close to my mother because, again, I grew up around the craziness, but I wanted to be there just so I could be by her side. So I went to the University of Arizona as a running back, and I was the fifth-team running back going into the first game of my career. But the first-team guy, his girlfriend gets pregnant, he quits school and gets married, second- and third-team guy, They were ineligible. Fourth-team guy couldn't catch, and so I had to be the one that played that first game. So I played running back. The first play of my career, I ran a 99-yard touchdown. So, again, it was about being famous. And as time went on, I became really a really good running back, even though I was a short, small guy, but I was fast because I was scared.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, you became an All-American in both track and in football at the University of Arizona. Let's go back to home life, Vance, even before college. When did you get introduced to Jesus?
1: You know, I got introduced to Jesus as a very young kid. In fact, when I was a little boy, even though I grew up in a very domestic, violent atmosphere where my father was very abusive to my mother, my mother was very into her faith and the religion and going to church. Now, my father only went on the holidays, but I always went to church with my mother and so I saw something in her that I really just loved. And I knew, even though I grew up in a really crazy environment, that there had to been a God because my mother didn't change, even though the life that she lived in was different from what I saw as a child growing up. But I also didn't understand that an identity is something that's actually received in your faith, not achieved by success and fame and wealth. And so I never put both of them together. But by God's grace, somehow he knew what the end was going to come. And so he allowed me to go after the things that I thought would make me somebody and something and important. And unfortunately, it was just the opposite, because I was only as good as the claps were or people just really being excited about what I was doing on the field. But I always saw my mother reading her Bible. I always saw my mother cooking for the church, feeding the poor. So I saw Christianity as a child, but I wasn't the Christian that I need it
0: to be. You make that switch from running back to receiver, which serves you very well, obviously, with the Denver Broncos. But I heard you tell this story already about a college All-Star game where you wanted to showcase being a receiver in that particular game.
1: Yeah, I was pretty much told that, you know, if you ever make it to the NFL, you'll never make it at running back. You're not big enough because running backs back then especially were really heavy guys that ran fast and they were able to put punishment on those linebackers so i got invited to the east west shrine Game, where for the first time i had a chance to meet and you might remember this guy randall cunningham oh yeah eagle all of well he was the quarterback at that game and my father who i had grown up with telling me what to do all the time said well how much are you guys getting paid for this game i said dad 2500 dollars." my god i thought i was gonna be rich he said you better give that money to Randall Cunningham and tell him to throw you 14 passes out there on the field. I got upset with my father, but I was an obedient son. So I said, Randall, you want my $2,500? And you got to throw me 14 passes. He said, absolutely. <laughs> so he, he threw me, for the first time me playing wide receiver, he threw me 14 passes in the East West Shrine game. I caught 13 of them. Then he let me play running back one play and said he was going to pitch me the ball to run around to do a sweep to the right. But instead of me running in for a touchdown, he was going to swirl out to the left and he wanted me to throw him the ball for a touchdown. (laughs) So if you go back and take a look at that, I threw Randall Cunningham a touchdown pass. He ended up being MVP. But I ended up being drafted in front of him in the 1985 draft.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's awesome. Now, I do have to bring up, when I was looking at some of the records you set at Denver, of course, 1989 was a banner year for you with the Broncos. You had 76 catches over 1,000 yards receiving, but I noticed you were over for one throwing the ball that season. Tell me about the one pass that you threw that was an incompletion.
1: Well, and then the reason why it was an incompletion is this. I had a lot of injuries even early on in my career as a Denver Bronco, and so I would lean on different types of pills and different shots to take the pain away. So my shoulders and my fingers, with all the dislocations and the breaks, I wasn't able to throw the ball at all. And I wasn't even able to run good unless I took shots in, in my kneecaps and my ankles and different things like that. So it really wasn't my fault. It's because I didn't have any feelings in my hands. That's the reason why I couldn't throw the ball. Oh, wow. Oh,
0: that's incredible.
1: By the way you're listening is probably first time they heard something like this. But many athletes during our career, we have to lean on different types of pills and different types of things to take away the pain so we can keep on playing that next play.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, you were with the Broncos from 85 until 93, and in that span, uh, in 19, I guess it would have been 87, for about five years there, you were there with Ricky Natiel and Mark Jackson, and you guys were nicknamed the Three Amigos. How did that come about?
1: You're going to love that story. So Mark Jackson, I was drafted second pick, second round. So again, it was about an identity and being successful for me. Mark Jackson was drafted really low, I think seventh or eighth around. And so I took him under my wing. So I became his friend, even though I knew I was better than him. Well, all of a sudden, the very next year they draft Ricky Neal in the first round. Well, I was pissed because I wanted to be the number one Denver Bronco wide receiver. So I didn't like Ricky when he first got to town, and I told Mark, "You better not hang out with him." Well, Mark and I were roommates at practice when we go, you know, in our room when we go to training camp, and him and I weren't talking. Well, I was watching the movie The Three Amigos one night, and I was thinking to myself, you know what? How are me and Ricky and Mark going to get along? Because I can't stand the two of them, but I'm watching this movie, and I got a great idea. This is going to force us to have to get along. So I walk in the bedroom where Mark is, and I knock on the door and say, Mark, I got a great idea. I'm watching the movie The Three Amigos. Why don't me, you, and Ricky call each other The Three Amigos, and we'll blame it on John Elway? He said, what? He said, maybe The Three Negroes, but they won't. (laughs) And so I, the very next day, I told the press after practice, me, Mark, and Ricky had become the three amigos for the Denver Broncos. Well, the press loved it. And they went and interviewed John. And they said, John, we understand you're calling your three receivers, the three amigos. He said, what? Maybe the three midgets, they're all in this three six feet tall. <laughs> 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 but it, it blew up anyway. It was on the front page. And so then John fell for it too. And it forced me, Mark, and Ricky to always hang out and be together. And, because of that, we all became really good friends, and we made sure that we were just high fiving each other and doing our little three amigos dance every game. When we were off the field too. That was, that's what was important.
0: Shortly after your NFL career ends in '95, you make an appearance on the Oprah Winf- Winfrey Show, and you admitted some things on that show that obviously went national. And do you wonder if by admitting um, what you did on that show that that was kind of a cry for help that you really needed.
1: Well, now that your listeners have heard the edited version of my life as a famous person, let me tell you the truth. Behind the scenes, I was really broken. And because I didn't grow up around a really good atmosphere of knowing how to be a husband and how to be a a man in the world outside of a man in the world looking for fame and fortune identity, I didn't know how to be a, a spouse. And so I became very abusive during my career. I slept with lots of women, man. I cheated on women. I had three women pregnant at the same time. I literally have three sons the same age right now. And I was very abusive. And I came home one day after finding out one of my wives cheated on me with a teammate. I won't mention the two guys that she was sleeping with. But I went home. I was very angry. I ran upstairs. I was using by that time, you know, different types of drugs and drinking, too. And I picked her up, and I threw her across the bed. She hit her head on the closet door, man, and she was laying on the ground, and she wasn't breathing. I freaked out and carried her into the bathroom and finally resuscitated her. The cops came, but because I was famous and I got away with a lot of different crimes and getting arrested and car accidents and all kinds of things, but I was done with me. And so I repented by going on the Oprah Winfrey Show and just really admitting to my domestic issues and how abusive I was. But for your listeners listening, it's just a start. Just because you decide you want to stop doing something and you come to hopefully have a change in your life, just like the Apostle Paul said in the Bible, not that I have attained all of this, but I press on to that which Christ has called me to. So even though I wasn't even a sold-out believer then, even though I believed, that was just the beginning of the end of what I thought was my identity. But then by walking that thing out and eventually using myself literally into a coma using drugs and alcohol and almost dying – It wasn't until then that I literally died to myself and I realized because of God's grace that he was going to give me life so that I can go offer hope to people. This is a broken country right now, man. In fact, it's a whole broken world right now.
0: Well, I'm glad you brought that up because that was another part of this that I certainly want to to bring up and talk to you about now. Besides you turning everything around and we're going to get into what you're doing now here in a minute, but uh, obviously racial Tensions were at an all-time high just a few months ago. And, and I think that there's just this idea for all of us that we just need to be able to, to think about what the other person has been through. Well,
1: for your listeners, you're going to kind of hear this from a different lens. As a black man, I did grow up and I saw a lot of issues where there was, you know, an oppression with some, some black folks. But I also saw how loving and caring many of my white brothers and sisters were because those were the ones who were trying to help me be successful. And so from my lens, I actually see blacks as trying to find an excuse to go back to the way things used to be when we felt like we were oppressed, not realizing that this white country is what gave us freedom. Now, just because we had our black brothers and sisters back in the 50s and the 40s and 30s who were doing everything they can to try to bring some hope to the blacks, it took the white community to say yes. And so I thank my white brothers and sisters for loving black people, for marrying, for the the relationships. I'm sorry, I had a call coming in because people are reaching out to me all the time for help. But I love how we are united, and I'm not falling for the narrative that we have to try to figure out how blacks are gonna be taken care of during this time because actually we just need to focus on working hard, being educated, knowing that we have love and grace and mercy for everybody and you pray for your enemy. You don't go hold signs up. You don't go try to hurt people. You love the Lord, and you go try to make everybody successful so that we would come to the hope and knowledge and the truth of our following of Jesus Christ. I'm here to preach to you right now, man. Sorry.
0: No, that's awesome. I love it. I'm talking with Vance Johnson, uh, Hall of Famer with the University of Arizona when he was in college there, an All-American, and, of course, three-time Super Bowl participant in '86. 87 and uh, 89 with the Denver Broncos and uh, one of the all-time greats with the Broncos sixth still all-time in receiving yards and in catches um, and of course has made this great turnaround in in his life and Vance I want to ask you is there a, a point in your life that you look back and go this was the bottom and this is where I was it when with when you threw your wife across the bed was that the low point when you turned everything around and said okay from this point forward um, my life is going to be serving my god
1: that was the beginning of the change of me and i got help actually because i didn't realize that i was suffering with a lot of mental health issues and the cte probably from the nfl the injuries and i got help with that but it wasn't until i lost the son who was killed by a drunk driver and i blame myself because i wasn't the father that i needed to be in his life So I started to lean on addiction. I was using so much that I used myself into a coma and almost died. And 28-day coma, they pulled the plug on me to watch me die. I wish I could show a photo of people right now, me in my deathbed. But God's grace and me being awoke after that, my seventh ex-wife at the time, and we didn't get a chance to get into all of those marriages, she reached out to the NFL. I was a million dollars in debt. And when I got help, man, I started to just cry out to God and thank him for saving my life. And I promised for the rest of my life I would go out and offer hope and plant seeds of sobriety and recovery through our Savior Jesus Christ because I was living in a sinful life and I wanted to now be the light and on a different team, Team Jesus. And so that's the reason why I'm in this field of recovery, offering hope to people. I'm the ambassador for a company called Oglethorpe, Inc. We just opened the Dance Johnson Recovery Center. I'm getting former professional football players into my program. I'm doing everything I can to just really – break stigma and just let everyone know we all have someone suffering with an addiction. But as a man of God, I want to show hope in Christ that we can beat this disease of addiction. We can beat it. And so if anybody needs any help, I want them to reach out to me, brother.
0: Vance, are you uh, still living in Arizona or are you in Vegas?
1: I actually am now living in Vegas. I was on the East coast for a few years. I've come out here. We've opened up the Vance Johnson recovery center where people can just go ahead and Google and find me and reach out to me personally. And this is home for me now. In fact, I got married out here in Vegas so many times and I lost <laughs> millions of dollars. I was held hostage. But now I'm in the very place where God wanted me to prove to him who I am. And that's the reason why we opened up the Vance Johnson Recovery Center out here, where people could reach out to me for help.
0: That's awesome, Vance. One final question before I let you go. What is the message? Uh, and you may have already said it because you said a lot of great things. But if, if you could leave someone with one message before you walk out the door what would that message be
1: that message would be this if you didn't have to hit rock bottom what would your testimony be and because i hit rock bottom and by god's grace i'm now that light to show hope to people that no matter what you deal with emotionally relationally or even with drugs and alcohol and how we even want to commit suicide at times you need to use that brokenness of yourself, and now that you are in the light and walking in a walk of recovery and a walk in the light of Jesus Christ, you go be the light now to offer hope because that's what we're called to do and be. If you didn't have a testimony, what would it be? This is your testimony now. And so go out and share the hope. And again, if you have any loved ones suffering, please reach out to me. In fact, if I can get my phone number, it's eight 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 two, which is my football number, 888 Van and you can reach out to me, and I'll follow back up and do whatever I can to offer hope.
0: Vance, God bless you, brother, and thank you so much for being on this program. Really appreciate it.
1: Brother, you're bringing tears to my eyes. God bless you.
0: Thank you so much. Thank you, Vance. Thanks for listening to this podcast on Suit Up. Please go to podbean.com and give us a five-star rating. But most of all, please pray for this effort.